second as we read God's Word together. We've been reading together through the Ten Commandments. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know when we come to the commandment we're talking about today, which is the sixth one, you will read along with me. So I'll read up to the sixth commandment, and we will together read the sixth one. So let's look together. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's read this together. You shall not murder. You can be seated. You're probably thinking, you shall not murder. Seems pretty straightforward, Pastor, right? Four words in the English, two words in the Hebrew. Likely most of us haven't done that this week, I hope, right? You're like, Pastor, can't you just, can't, can't you just read that and go home, right? I think we get it. But, friends, there's a lot more to this commandment than I think we often think about. This commandment first has caused some confusion for folks because in the traditional King James translation you may be familiar with, it says you shall not kill. And we all recognize there's a difference between killing and murder, right? So what exactly is going on? Again, most of us in this room probably have never committed murder or, or may not feel tempted to do so. So what does this commandment have to do with us? I want us to look at it. There's really three sort of big picture things for us to see, and then we'll sort of fill in along the way. We'll consider it in three parts, and I think we should start with the big picture, the principle behind the command. Here's the big thing the Sixth Commandment wants to teach us. The Sixth Commandment is here to teach us about the value of life. The Sixth Commandment is here to teach us about the value of life. One of the most important things we need to understand before ever even coming to this command is the reason behind it. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it wrong to murder? I mean, the Sixth Commandment, like most of these commandments, are, are written on the heart through the conscience. Mankind seems to in distinctly and, intr and intrinsically know that they shouldn't take the life of another person. But have you ever thought about why? Some may say things like, well, we don't want to murder because we want the human race to continue. That's a pretty good reason, right? 
but not necessarily enough on its own. For others, they might simply say, hey, we want communities that are safe over ones that are violent. And that's okay. That might be a reason. Some just say, man, it just ain't right, <laughs> right? And all of these begin to get around the issue, but don't really get to the heart of the issue. The reason that we are not to murder, friends, is that human life is valuable. We have to start by understanding we are not the product of random accidents acting on matter. We were created by God in the image of God. And any other reason ultimately fails because it fails to account for the eternal and infinite worth of man. Genesis chapter 1 shows us after God creates the stars and the grass and the animals and all these incredible things, God does something unique when he makes mankind. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created him. Notice a few things. First, notice that the text distinguishes mankind from animals. Humans are not, are, are not like the animals. We have dominion over them. There's a reason today that you drove cars here. You build houses. And friends, you're going to go enjoy some delicious animals here when it comes lunchtime. Right? Friends, we are not the same. Second, notice that part of the reason it says mankind was made in the image of God, the imago Dei, to be a representative of God's power and authority, to show the world what God looks like in a unique way. Man has been created by God with intrinsic value. Man is ultimately an eternal soul. And friends, we have this drafted even right into the Declaration of Independence, don't we? The famous words that open it, and our founders had a variety of views about religion and God and things like that. And, and there were some, some different particulars they had. And look, they could confess these words together. We hold these truths to be self-evidence that all men are created equal they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Friends, they said this is self-evident that God has done these things. And that's part of what the sixth commandment tells us. Friends, it tells us about the special value of human life. God has created us and we're endowed by him with certain rights we're given value. Our lives matter. And friends, this is true for people everywhere. Regardless of where you come from, what you look like, no matter what it is, human life matters. Even if oftentimes it may not feel true for all people everywhere. But now, the, the, this text teaches us about the value of human life. But what exactly is the command forbidding? What exactly does it mean when it says do not murder? In other words, here's the heading. What is the kind of killing that the commandment is addressing? Because we know the commandment isn't, take, isn't forbidding every sort of taking of any sort of human life, as we'll see, or even any sort of life. What exactly is it 
forbidding. And I think the best place to start is by seeing what the sixth commandment does not forbid before looking at what it does forbid. So what is not included under do not murder? Here's where we start. The sixth commandment does not forbid, first, the taking of animal life. The taking of animal life. We saw this, again, implied in Genesis chapter 1. We have dominion over the creatures of the earth. But even think about this. Throughout the Old Testament, as the people went to the temple, they offered a sacrifice of animals. The slaying of animals was necessary for the sacrificial system in the temple. And while the Old Covenant put in place these food laws of clean and unclean animals, friends, there's good news for those of us in the New Covenant. We read this. 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Hallelujah, we can eat bacon. Praise God, right? This reminds us, friends, hunting season is a good gift. Amen? Turkey, ham, sausage, chicken, all the good stuff God has given for us to enjoy. Praise God, this commandment does not include animal life. Now, this isn't a free pass to just treat animals however you want. The Bible actually talks about that, and we'll get there later in the law where the Bible talks about this. This isn't just a free pass to do whatever you want, but it does remind us what's in, what's, what's in view with the sixth commandment is not a deer or cattle, but human life. Human life. Let's look at the second thing. This commandment does not forbid. Second, the sixth commandment does not forbid the just use of capital punishment. Does not forbid the just use. That's my typo there. You'll catch that. The just use of capital punishment. It would forbid the unjust use of capital punishment. In fact, let me show you something. The reality of the Imago Day, the unique value of mankind, is actually what grounds capital punishment in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 9. Let me show you this. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image. See what we're reading here. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Most commentators understand this verse to be foundational for the forming of human government. Of making laws in order to keep mankind from hurting one another. And it's reminding us here that God has allowed the state to deal capital punishment for severe crimes, particularly murder. Because as we think about it. If you're taking a human life, what amount of restitution could you ever give to repay? What amount of jail time could really ever be appropriate? And when a life is taken, Genesis chapter 9 would say a life must be taken. Romans chapter 13 says this of the government. For he, being the governor, the, the sort of government officials, are God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on 
the wrongdoer. See it here? He's telling us here that one of the reasons government exists is so there's a punishment for stuff you do so you won't do those things because you don't want to receive the punishment. And it's to remind us of this. And friends, there's definitely a lot of debate we can have about capital punishment and the death penalty. And and I'm definitely not saying the way our system presently works is exactly the way that Genesis and the Bible might have us to do. But biblically, it is said that there comes a point where a life may need to be taken for a crime that's committed. And it can be done justly without breaking the sixth commandment. The state can bear the sword. But we also need to see, friends, that we may need to bear the sword at some point. Here's the third thing. The Sixth Commandment does not forbid the use of self-defense against a credible threat. The use of self-defense against a credible threat. Hear this here. Moses is actually going to clarify for us. A few chapters later, in Exodus chapter 22... And he's going to expand a little bit on what exactly the sixth commandment means and doesn't mean. And he gives an example. Exodus 22, verse 2 to 3. Look at this. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his Look at how interesting. This is such an interesting passage. The law of Moses would say if it's dark and there's somebody who's in your home for some reason, he says, and you and you attack them out of concern and safety for your family, he says, you're in the right. But he also would warn us not to be too quick about drawing that trigger for something that might not be somebody that's threatening you. He says if it's daylight, in other words, friends, you may need to assess the situation sometimes. Friends, it might just be a guy, the Amazon guy dropping off a package at your front door. You don't got to shoot at everything that walks on your property, right? He's telling you to assess the difference between a threat and something else because human life still matters. But there does come a point where there may be nothing else you can do. This actually comes right out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus gives us an interesting principle. I want to show you this. Jesus, as his betrayal's drawing near, Luke chapter 22, look what he says to his disciples. But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. In other words, bring your wallets along, guys. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And then he says this. And they said, they came back and said, look, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So Jesus encourages his disciples to conceal carry swords, that is, right? If you ever wanted to know the amount of swords Jesus thinks is appropriate, he says two is a good place to start. So you can hang on to that, right? Because we need to see Jesus isn't encouraging them to build an army, right? He's not encouraging them just to load up with all the swords they can find because they're about to fight the Roman government. In fact, we see something really interesting. Just a few verses later, as the Roman soldiers descend to come get Jesus, this is Luke 22, same chapter, verse 49. Look at this. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, so the Roman soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus, 
they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touches his ear and healed him. In other words, Jesus didn't have a problem with the swords for self-defense, but he did not want his disciples to try to overthrow the government with that sword. He didn't want to shoot out or a sword out with the Roman officials. And friends, he didn't want his disciple, who obviously didn't have good aim, to just be swinging the sword around. The guy went for a headshot and hits the ear. He's got to be careful with that thing. He might put an eye out or something, right? He did not encourage them to just wield their weapon brashly and carelessly. In fact, he warns them not to do that. And he puts the man's ear back on and heals it. Friends, Jesus would teach us to balance self-defense and the life of other people. He would teach us because, friends, we are not to be careless in our response because life matters. The sixth commandment isn't forbidding all taking of life. There are times where you'll need to take animal life in order to eat. There's times where capital punishment may be appropriate for a crime. There's times where self-defense to a real and viable threat is necessary. And let's see the fourth thing, that the sixth commandment has provisions for true accidents. It has provisions for accidents. Sometimes, friends, there are real accidental things that occur that cause the death of another person. And it's sad, but the law of Moses actually makes provision for this. When a death occurred, while there was investigation, they would encourage the person involved to flee to a city of refuge. And the city of refuge was to provide all parties involved and families peace and safety while a thorough investigation occurred. Deuteronomy 19 actually talks a lot about this. And here's what it says. Deuteronomy 19, 4 and 5. This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, and then he's going to give an example, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut the tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of those cities and live. Do you see his point? He says there are times when truly horrible accidents occur. Think about it. You and your buddy go chop wood every Tuesday. It's just what you do. And one day you're doing it and the head of your axe flies off and hits him so that he dies. Here we get a general principle. The city of, he was to flee to the city of refuge. They were to investigate because when they determined it was truly an accident, there would be mercy and refuge for them. It was to be a place of protection and hope. God gave them so that they would be safe from revenge or retribution or or a hurt reputation because the sixth commandment makes allowances and provisions for what is truly an accident. When we live in a world where accidents happen, at least, and, and things that we can't explain happen, and we see that the sixth commandment does not forbid all the taking of life. But now what, what does the sixth commandment address? What is Moses's and God through Moses's concern? What does the sixth commandment forbid? The sixth commandment forbids two things primarily. First, the careless lack of concern for human life. 
We somewhat said this earlier, but I want to give you that there, that there is a clear difference between an accident and negligence. There's a difference between the axe flying off the handle on accident and someone who leaves it loose knowing that this is a threat. Deuteronomy 22 gives an incredible principle. Look at this. Deuteronomy 22.8, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof so that you may not bring the, the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Now, this seems odd to us, but the Israelites would build a fence. That's what a parapet is, a fence around the edge of their roofs because in ancient Israel, people gathered on their roof. It was often cooler to go on their roof. They didn't have air conditioning, Right? And it was often cooler on the roof than it was in the house. So they might go up to cool off. Maybe they needed to, to have a gathering place, bring the family over. The house is sort of cramped. We're going to go on the roof and hang out. Remember, Bathsheba bathed on the roof. People in these days hung out on the roof. And he says, you need to build a fence around it to keep people from falling off. In other words, he said, you are responsible to make sure that people under your care are safe and not to just be like, eh, they won't fall. We all know the person who will fall, right? Eh, not my thing to worry about. He says, no, we're not to be careless. We're to keep others' safety as our concern. Friends, this is one of the reasons that Christians should follow speed limits. They're there for a reason because there are Threats that can come from driving too fast. Maybe to follow the safety rules that you have around your job. To be careless and to cause an accident that kills another person is to be negligent of that human life. And when was the last time we considered the life of another person? When was really the time that we thought about and took proper action to protect another person? Because, friends, we violate the sixth commandment when we live or think or act as if another human life around us isn't worth protecting. And then here's the second thing that the sixth commandment forbids. The sixth commandment forbids, second, the intentional taking of innocent human life. This is probably what most of us think about when we think about murder, right? You've been watching your 2020 specials. Been watching those murder mysteries that you're a big fan of. This is what you would be thinking about, right? Premeditated, planned, first-degree murder, intentional homicide. And Deuteronomy 19 actually tells us this. Rather than the case he mentioned earlier where there's that accident with the axe head, he says this in Deuteronomy 19, 11 and 12. If anyone hates his brother and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities of refuge, then the elders of his city shall send to take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. You see the difference? There was clear hatred on behalf of this person. They lied in wait for them. They struck them in a way that would kill them. And he says if they flee to these cities, they're not going to receive refuge. When the investigation's done, they're going to receive retribution. And intentionality is the distinguishing mark. And friends, we may not think that this is an issue for us. But friends, we live in a world where this is an incredible issue. Let me give you some stats. Let me give you some stats. The CDC in 2021 said that there were over 26,000 homicides in the United States. 
that was kind of mind-blowing. Actually, I kind of thought that number was a little small whenever I read it at first, right? Even more shocking, there were over 47,000 suicides in 2021. Friends, this commandment addresses that, right? Not viewing the life of others or our life in a way that matters. Friends, and it would remind us, this should absolutely break our hearts. And we should seek as we can to try to keep these numbers down and to be concerned about these things. For these things to bother us and act. But friends, it begins even earlier than that. It begins even with life in the womb. Friends, our culture has legislated and celebrated abortion, the taking of the unborn human life. And this is addressed actually not only by the Sixth Commandment, but by the law of Moses. Let me give you something interesting. Exodus 21, look at this. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child, her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then he shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wood for wound for wound, strike for strike. In other words, did you hear what they called what was in the mother's womb? Children. A child. Friends, this isn't just something we believe because the Bible tells us, though that, that should inform our understanding of this. Friends, it's backed up the more we learn about science and ultrasounds and all these incredible things. Friends, we have, and what is in the womb is a baby, and many of us have stood idly by and not spoken on this issue. And this is something we should care about. Friends, we've gained, the pro-life cause has gained ground, but there is still much work to be done. I did some research this week, and while abortion clinics are closed in our state, they're not in every state. You can travel from where we are to get to states where they're open, and they've now had pills that can be mailed through Walgreens and CVS and be shipped to your front door. And I had one source, if you're curious on this, that at least 20,000 abortion pills were shipped between June and December of 2022. Shipped out, whether they were used or being stored, we don't know. And friends, it's so interesting, I saw a story in Lexington this week that it is a crime, it was a crime for a man to kill a woman and her, and her unborn baby, and it was a double homicide. Yet, if they had called it an abortion, there would have been no problem. Friends, we should care about human life. This should bother us. Because it's not just the unborn, friends. Even the most vulnerable are at risk. Canada has an assisted suicide program that expands to non-life-threatening illnesses. And I even saw one article proposing that they might even expand it to those with mental illness to provide a way out. And in 2021, there were over 10,000 assisted suicides in Canada. 3% of the population. I hope this, if, if you look uncomfortable, good. This should make us very uncomfortable. Friends, and this doesn't even begin to get at the violence done from unjust war. Think about watching and seeing everything going on in Ukraine and in the Middle East and in other wars going on. Friends, we live in a culture where there is murder and death, and that should bother us. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, we're told, and he is the ruler of this earth, and many follow in his footsteps. 
And while few of us are probably going to commit premeditated murder, and most of us, I think, have a desire to keep others safe and a disregard for other human lives, if, if, that, if all those numbers I gave to you make you uncomfortable, there should be a third reality that should make us even more uncomfortable. And it's this. It's the heart of the matter. Here's the heart of the sixth commandment. Because the heart of the matter, friends, is the matter of the heart. Let me show you something incredible Jesus says. Mark chapter 7. And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Friends, see, Jesus' whole point is that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That murder begins in the heart before it ever moves out of the feet or out of the hands. If you are filled with hatred, prejudice, unforgiveness, then friends, we need not think of ourselves better than the person on death row. We're just a better pretender. We can just sort of hide our hatred a little better. Look what John tells us. 1 John 3.15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that murderers, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Friends, there were a lot of us, when we heard some of those numbers, there was anger and hatred that rose up in us. But friends, if we're going to have hatred for those who have practiced, let's say, abortion or committed abortion, friends, if we hate them, we're no better than they are. Friends, if we're going to hate other people and talk about desiring revenge for them, we're no different than the mass murderer on death row. We're actually walking the same path they were likely on full of hate and bitterness. Every one, of, every one of those began as a spark of hate and envy that was indulged and indulged and indulged. Because if we hate, the Bible says, we're committing murder in our hearts. That person who did you wrong, if you're wishing ill and hurt and harm to them and wrong for them, friends, we need to be careful to think we're better than those that simply let what we wish we could do to those who actually did what many of us wish we could do. Because the act of murder itself is often not the only sin that's ever committed. There's envy, slander, anger, bitterness, hatred, plotting, stewing. All those are sins and are leading on their way to when they finally boil over. And this is just a reminder to us that all of us are guilty before a holy God. None of us, friends... Can come into the presence of God based on our own works. Because the commandments of God are not simply about our actions, they're also about our attitudes, what we think about and how we feel. And all of us are going to stand before the judge of the universe and we will all be guilty of murder, whether with our hands or in our hearts. And friends, we're in trouble. We've got a court date and we're convicted. They got all the evidence. That's why we need a Savior. Friends, that's why we need a Savior. If you feel an incredible weight of guilt or concern, let, let me have you continue to open your ears and hear. Hear what I'm about to say to you closely. Because, friends, here's the good news of the gospel. Now, friends, though we are guilty 
of hatred, of murder in our heart. God sent Jesus, his perfect, innocent, sinless son, to be murdered on the cross. And friends, on the cross, the most horrifying thing about the cross isn't even simply the unjust murder of the Romans, but the fact that on the cross, Jesus was bearing the wrath of God due our sin. We deserved the death penalty, but Jesus took it instead. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he rose again on the third day so that any of us who come in repentance and faith can have our sins fully and freely forgiven, complete pardon by grace through faith and brought into a right relationship with God. You can be set free because Jesus paid your debt. Friends, the gospel is that Jesus was murdered so that murderers could go free. And you don't have to shed blood to be in need of the blood of Jesus. We all need the forgiveness and redemption that's available in Jesus. And friends, there may be some of you that man, go, man, I, I'm too far gone. I can't do it. I can't. Maybe you've been a part of some stuff we've mentioned today. Maybe you have some dark secrets that you came into church with this morning. That's okay. We all have skeletons in our closet. Again, we all have hearts that don't line up with what God would have us to have. And maybe you've got some hatred and bitterness that you just don't know if you can let go of. Let me tell you one story in closing for those of you who just feel like you could never receive this forgiveness. Let me tell you the story of a man named Barabbas. As Jesus was being taken before the people and crucifixion was coming his way, there was a custom every year that they would let one criminal go. And the leaders at that time thought, well, we're going to put the worst of the worst up against Jesus and hope they let Jesus go because we don't politically like that we're a part of this whole crucifixion thing. So we're going to put Jesus up, and we're going to put the worst of the worst next to him, and we're going to hope that they pick Barabbas, that they're going to let Jesus go, and we can take Barabbas in. Barabbas was a wicked man, known for murderer, to be a murderer, an insurrectionist, all these kinds of terrible sins. And the people come, and they've got a choice. Let Jesus go, or let Barabbas go. Let this man go, or let this criminal go and the crowd cries out let barabbas go crucify jesus instead and friends jesus takes the cross that was meant for barabbas and barabbas gets to go free and the apostle looked on this event and said this in the book of acts but you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. Friends, Jesus took the cross of a murderer, and the murderer could go free. And friends, hear me here. The good news of the gospel is that through repentance and faith, you can be Barabbas. Through repentance and faith, Jesus has taken your place, and you can be forgiven and go free. And so today, I want to extend an invitation. Friends, I want to extend an invitation first to check our hearts on the hatred, the prejudice, the bitterness that's there, and to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Friends, it's not going to make you any better. In fact, most 
most everything. The, the act of murder through the hands began as a spark in the heart. So I would encourage you to lay those down. But I would also extend to you, to those who are feeling overwhelmed in guilt, regardless of what it might be today, that Jesus' arms stand open to receive you by grace, through faith, freedom from condemnation, and the guilt of sin is available. All you must do is come to the author of life and cry out to him, and he will save you. I'll be down front if you need somebody to pray with you. The, the front here is open. If you need to pray, you can pray right where you are. Friends, all of us have something to bring before the Lord today. A heart check, or even friends to bring ourselves for the first time before the Lord of glory in surrender. Friends, let's stand, let's pray, and let's prepare to do business with God. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this time to be together with your people. We're thankful for how you have loved us, Lord, in an incredible way, so undeserving for the hatred and bitterness in our hearts, for the revenge we seek against others. Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would rid our hearts of the ugly sin of bitterness, of hatred toward another. Lord, that we would find freedom found in forgiveness and new life. I pray for folks here today, regardless of what sin that they committed, that they would now encounter the beauty of grace. Give them concern over their sin and over the fact that they have to stand before God one day and give an account of that sin. But Lord, also give them the hope that Jesus has come to die in their place, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to rise again on the third day. God, I ask that that hope would lead them to trust in you and have all of us to trust in you and you alone for our hope and our righteousness. May we give you now the worship and the praise that you're due. Yes, and we Lord. ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. It was his love for us that put him on that cross. It was his love for us. Let's sing together about the beautiful love Jesus has for us.
He is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. Oh, 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 how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. And we are his portion. And we are his portion, and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Oh, oh, oh how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. Let that sink in. Let that sink in, how he loves. Oh, Jesus, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. What incredible goodness. And that remains true, friends, even when you leave here today. And it's incredible that God doesn't simply love us and save us and leave us alone. He draws us into a family of faith. And I'm excited. We have two folks who are joining our family of faith today. If Jackie and Elaine will come forward. I'll give them just a second. They're okay. <laughs> but. God draws us together with a family of believers to join together, and I'm so excited that Jackie and Elaine have made the decision to join with our church body. And I, they're no strangers to most 
uh, to those, uh, to many of us, but we'd love to have them come forward and y'all meet them. Absolutely. And I've been so excited about them being here. I'll come right up here. You all celebrate this year 55 years of marriage, right? Turn in and face these folks. Amen. That's right. That's right. And I, and I told him, I said, I'm so excited to have you all here because our church has tended to skew a little younger. I'm like, man, we need some wisdom and some stability, right? We're so excited to have you all here. I just wanted you to see if you'll be a church family for these two. Would you raise your hand? Let them see. And if you'll promise to love and pray for them and care for them, let's see the church family that God has given for you all. We're just so excited to have you all here. And they're already in a small group. I mean, they're already here Sunday morning, Wednesday night. They're here and involved. And so this is Jackie and Elaine and would love, again, shake their hand. If you haven't met them, give them a hug. We love having them here with us. Absolutely. We'll close our service with a benediction. This from 2 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word.